Hello, Pubcast listeners, and welcome to episode 47 of the Agile Pubcast. Who'd have thought it? 47 episodes in and we're still going. If you haven't heard us before, this is where Jeff Watts and myself, Paul Goddard, sit down for a pint and have a bit of a chat, a bit of a catch-up over all things Agile. If you're on iTunes, you can subscribe to this podcast to get all the latest episodes. Or if you're not, you can find us on Stitcher or SoundCloud. And we really would love to get your comments and topics that you'd like us to talk about. Maybe you're part of a user group. And Jeff and I have done some live podcasts in association with a couple of user groups in the UK. And we're still looking for more different locations with more user groups to continue that journey. So if you're interested, please get in touch and we'll see what we can arrange. Anyway, that's enough of me talking. Let's get on with it. Cheers. Cheers, mate. How's your craft cider? It's good. It's uh, Cape Don't look at the glass, it's the can. No, Cape, Cape Rose. You've bought me two cans. Um, well, we'll explain. There's a story behind that as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's Cable Road cider. It's a dry, dry cider, dry, complex, and full. This sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but I'm just reading off a can. Dry, complex, and full-bodied, oaky, smoky, with a subtle note, subtle notes of leather. <laughs> can you pick out the subtle notes? No, of, leather of course then? I can't. Taste of apples to me. Um, it's got bubbles though, you like bubbles. It's wet, yeah, Western cider. Herefordshire. Leathery. Um, what have you got, buddy? It's um, Goose. Goose Island IPA. I've had it before. I know I like it. Not, I didn't go for the safe option, it's just that that's. What the hell? A lot of the, there, there weren't many that were on tap, a lot of the, the options were off. Right oh, now. really? So, run out. Yeah, there weren't a lot of choices. Guinness, I'm happy to drink a Guinness, but I'm not. You in haven't really done many Guinness on this podcast, have you, really? No, only in Ireland, really. Uh, when we did in Ireland, we did. Yeah. No, um, maybe I will next time. Maybe we'll go for a stout. Change it up. We had a dark IPA recently. We did. That was, we did. Um, yeah, that was close. Stout with the stout taken out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But no, it's fine. It's it's um it's drinkable. It's not too strong. It's only five percent. I say only five percent. Yours is five point two. It's but it's um yeah, not ridiculous. Easy to drink. Yeah. Not going to get too silly on it. Um, we should explain where we are. We're in a pub called the Running Horse. Yeah. In Mayfair. Mayfair. Hence eighteen pounds for two pints. <laughs> We're paying Mayfair prices. Ridiculous. How much is how much is Mayfair on a Monopoly board, Jeff, in the UK? Four hundred fifty, isn't it? No, it's four hundred. Is it? No, partly it's three fifty. Yeah. I think we've discussed this before. They're taking the pound signs off the. Yes, yeah, Monopoly's, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, not that interesting. Yeah, it always used to be four hundred. Yeah, so we we should, I feel like we should do like a pubcast from every square on the Monopoly board. Maybe. Maybe that can be our. I wonder how many we've done so far. What on the Monopoly board? Yeah. Uh, we've done Buckingham, uh, Buckingham Palace, isn't there? We've done it? Whitehall, we? Pall Mall, maybe. Yeah. We've done Area. Leicester Square. And I'm trying to think where else we've been in London. We've done. Well, we've just come past Bond Street and Reed Street, but we didn't do a pub cast there, did we? Anyway, yeah, that's fair We digress. Um, no, my energy levels are low. I don't know whether you can tell. You are. It's tires. Voice is quiet. It's tires. That's annoying. That noise. You can tell we're outside. 
better than a jazz band. Yeah, true. Not that I like dislike jazz, just it's an easier noise to cover up. Why do you think you're 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 down downtrodden? I wouldn't say I'm downtrodden. I'm just I'm tired, and I think that that comes across. My energy levels are low. I've had a hard hard couple of weeks, long couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm running, running too fast. Un unsustainable pace. Yeah, I think Jeff. I need a bit of an R and R. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of downtime. Yeah, got a holiday coming up in a couple of weeks. That's well needed. But um, no, I think that that can come across, can't it? I don't want that to contaminate you, my lack of energy. Well, I can see you, 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 people listening won't be able to. Won't be able to see it, but you've got a kind of noticeable frown when you're speaking. Mm. I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not miserable. I'm just tired. But um, got to put a game face on, haven't you? At work. But it's yeah, it's a lot. Um, I'm, I'm a massive fan of. I love the whole research and the analysis behind body language and even tone of voice, mm -hmm. how that affects the, how we communicate. Mm. Fascinating. It can be contagious. Body language can be contagious. And it's 93, I, I, I learned this recently for a, for a meetup, it's 93% of how, we, of how we're, we're perceived and how we communicate is through non-verbals, yeah. through body language, posture, gesture. Everything yeah. like that. I'm not communicating well tonight then. No. <laughs> miserable. But I'll be back for tomorrow. Yeah? Yeah, I'll be back. Game face. Yeah. So I think that's one of, it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it, to to put yourself out there when you're not really there. Well, sometimes I think you have to do that, don't you? Yeah. Well, we do, but yeah. B, I'm thinking now about, about Scrum Masters. Sorry, I'm going back to, I'm thinking it's back to work, because I suppose that's what we should do, but... There's days when you might be having the worst possible day in the world. Yeah. But you kind of have to put a bit of a. Well, well do, you? do you? Can you have an off day, or do you have to? Do you think you have to? Well, everyone put, does have an off day. But it's okay to admit you're having an off day. Isn't yeah. It? And yeah, you know, every now and again, your, your teammates will pick you up. You know, you'll pick me up. You'll you'll carry me for a bit. Or yeah. I'll carry you for a bit. Yeah, that's that's kind of normal. I think actually admitting that now and again is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but if the organisation's getting you down, as a scrum master, you, that's one thing that you can't let on too much. No. Not, not all the time, not too often, because you know if you start getting beaten by the system, then there's everybody else is looking at you. Yeah. I think for that kind of hope, that kind of resilience, and that's when that can become a, a negative spiral. Yeah. That kind of can-do attitude, isn't it? Yeah. So if you th I think if you're feeling it, then it's best to take a, take a break, get out yeah. for a bit, yeah. recharge, and come back with a, a little bit of a spring in your step. Yeah. My, my wife reminds me now and again when I'm when she can notice me. Yeah. Again, she needs to need a break. stop. You need yeah. to stop because if you start replying to emails in this kind of mood, it's not going to be a good thing. When you're tired, you need to take a break. She reminds me. She keeps me honest. It's good to have that, though, isn't it? It's good to have that. Yeah. Almost like a, a conscience. Even scrum masters need that kind of support network, don't they? They need, yeah. might need each other, other scrum masters. They might need... It'd be nice if it comes from the team. If the team knows that, that's, I mean, that's great, isn't it? If, if actually someone that in the team, a developer or whoever, that has got 
has got your back, even though, in theory, and people would expect that the scrum master is the person that's got the team's back. Yeah. But it's nice that someone's looking out for you as well. Mm. I'm noticing when you need a break. You say you like um, studies and statistics. Yeah. This is on, off on a tangent slightly, but I think it's related. People have probably heard of being hangry. Yeah, we've, we've mentioned that before. Yeah. Angry before. when you're hangry. Angry when you're hungry. Um, have we done the decision fatigue on the podcast before? No, I don't think we have. Well, we might have some new listeners anyway, yeah. if we have. Um, judges. Parole judges in America. Oh, I see. Like all day, we've been in a session all day long. Yes, they studied the amount of rejections that judges gave parole applicants. And at the start of the day, it was sort of like 70% or something. Right. As as they got tired yeah. and hungry, yeah. it went down to almost zero. Then they take a like a coffee break, refreshment break, a little 10-minute snooze snack, yeah. and it goes back up to to normal again. Really? Yeah. It's, it's decision fatigue. You get tired and you just oh sod it. No, no, no. No, yeah, really easy decision. No, and I think that's there's a danger that I, I get like that. I know when I'm tired and hungry, I just no, I can't think about it anymore. Just off my plate, reject, reject, reject. Mm. And you think it, that we would tend to default to the, to ne- the negative I rather think than so. the positive? I think so. Tired, hungry, yeah, that because that kind it, of it's a well, yeah, yeah, um, it's a defensive. I think, but in some respects, that's going to give you more pain, isn't it? Further, well, I was thinking of the judge, the judge situation, and that I, I don't know if, if no is actually a, a more paperwork-heavy result. No, but I think it's a safe answer, isn't it? If you're not quite sure, okay. don't let them out. Yeah, defensive. Yeah, you don't give people the benefit of the doubt. You don't yeah. think positively. Yeah, you, you see the negatives in the situation. I think that, that that's quite common when you're tired, when you're hungry. Mm. Yeah, so scrum masters need to be well fed. Well rested, I think, to remain yeah. positive. We, we, we talk about scrum masters finding the art of the positive, acknowledging that there's a challenge, but seeing the glass is half full. And that's hard to do if you're tired. And modelling that for other people. No one's inspired by a cynic. No one's inspired by a negative Nelly. Mm. You need to keep that inspiration going. Reminds me, uh, someone mentioned this to, to me in a course the other day, and something that has been around for years, but um, he reminded me of it. And it's another reason why it couldn't apply to Scrum Masters, really, is, is, is the Pomodoro technique. Oh, yeah. So, and I think there's variations on it, but um, I think it's like the idea of 20 work breaking... Is it 20? I thought it was 15. I thought it was, well, again, it's, yeah, short, it's, short bursts. And then, but every, you have, yeah, short bursts, but then you have a longer break every third. Yeah. yeah every third chunk, if you like. So to, to break your work into, and even estimating in Pomodoros, so mm-hmm. try, rather than um, real time estimates, estimating in more. Um, for those of you non linguists, a Pomodoro means tomato. Mm. I'm not sure why that's. I've got, what, I don't know what the tomato connection is. But um, that reminds me actually. I, I was talking about white elephants the other day, and I don't know the origin. I don't know the no, not do I. why. Why a white elephant is a white elephant? Yeah. No, I don't know. I have a feeling Nigel would know, or yeah. claim to know. Yeah. Who'd no, know? Well, well-read man, Nigel Baker. Yeah. We should invite Nigel to tweet tweet us the answer because we know that he will. Yeah. yeah. No, sorry, mate. Um, yeah, Pomodoro. But there's no reason why. <coughs> I mean, I, I I should probably even when I'm working at home, I should probably I feel I should break. Because there's there's some fairly there's tedious tasks that I do at home, and you think 
I was having this um, discussion, this was a while back, but how boredom and monotony can have an effect on quality. Okay. So, and I use, I think the, the where this comes up quite a lot with my, me and my trainings is um, the ballpoint game. Okay. Of repeating the same process time, time, and time, and time, and time again. It's a simple, it's just a de- deliberately simplistic process. You know, um, akin to sticking stamps on an envelope, but kind of a menial task. Yeah. And um, when boredom, when, when teams don't change something, they get complacent or they get tired mm. of doing the same thing time and time and time again. Well, yeah, forcing yourself to think about something. There was an um, interesting study about font, wasn't there? Yes. Um, where students were given the same information, but some of them had it written in a, in a more difficult-to-read font. Yeah. And those students did better in their exams because yes. they had to work harder to, to slow them down. Yeah, to slow them down and remember it. Uh, whereas if it's just I'm scanning, I'm scanning, I'm scanning, I don't have to read it. I have to work hard. But um, I'm pretty sure because I put a tweet out there a while ago on the back of this stuff and. I'm pretty sure it was Sally Ann Freudenberg that replied to this. Doctor? Yes. And she said that she actually found those kind of low, um, those simplistic tasks, she could achieve quite a bit of um, flow within that. Yeah. Whereas I, 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 I akin that to boredom and that how that can affect and doesn't really motivate me. Yeah. But she, she was saying that for some of those more simplistic menial tasks that when you get to a flow of them you can actually achieve quite a lot but I'm wondering whether over a long period of time that would have an effect on your motivation I don't think even a long period of time quite sure yeah and, and I know Sal and, and I'm not saying she doesn't agree with that point of view but equally she's probably she's very good at thinking about being devil's advocate she can you know think about the flip side to anything yeah. so she might have just been putting a contrary argument out there for consideration yeah fair point <clears throat> No, but yeah, I think uh, going back to yeah, your attitude, your kind of your outlook, your persona, your people can read people. We're, oh. we're experts, aren't we? The naked apes that we are, we're, we can read people, their body language, their. Well, you know, if, you know if someone's heart's not in it. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know if someone's heart's not in it. And I think that's that's a killer for a scrum master. Yeah. If your heart's not in it, people will read that. If your heart's not in the facilitation, in the organisation change, in the process, and whatever it is, people just aren't going to come along with you. And you need that. Mm. Yeah, you're you're the, the, the torchbearer almost. And it's one of the things I, I say in my courses a lot, and um, I've probably said it on this podcast before a lot. But it requires no zero talent to be positive. That's true. You can, if you can be nothing else, if you can give nothing else to a team, if you can give them yeah. no advice, no, no technical expertise, no, um, you can, you can be rel- offer very, very, relatively little else. But if you can be a positive influence mm. uh, and have a positive effect, yeah. infectiously on on the, the rest of the team, that will be. A positive that in itself will be a positive thing. Absolutely, for a team to experience. That's um, I'm not sure how much I can say about this, but I, I saw a really stark contrast between two. Um, in fact, it was two individuals, but it could equally be said of two teams, where they were given exactly the same tasks to do, but one of them, by their nature, every time they saw it, their initial default reaction without thinking was, "Oh, brilliant!" Yeah. And the other person's response was, oh, no, I'm terrible at this. Really? And I, I would say they were equally skilled, equally experienced, 
but the person who viewed it as oh brilliant outperformed the person who you know, they're basically talking themselves towards success or talking themselves towards failure mm. they're kind of writing themselves off initially um, and I think that's a, that's a that's a powerful thing self-talk is a powerful thing mm. and that actually that was a conversation that we had today uh, well, I had today with a few people, and um, it was to do with creativity. So we gave we, like, we gave people a, a really, in many ways, trivial task. Mm. And the response from one group was, "Oh, I'm not very creative. Oh, I'm terrible at this kind of thing." Oh, yeah, I'm not very creative either. And it's almost like it gives other people permission to to follow, doesn't it? Yeah. As soon as one person shows that, but it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I was talking to them and I said, yeah, everyone has the capacity be, to be creative. And the first step is just to acknowledge the fact that you have the capacity to be creative. In the same way, we, did a, we went on a little bit of a tour years ago doing a talk called Can't Scrum, Won't Scrum. We did, yeah. And we used the analogy of people saying, I can't draw. And yeah. everybody can draw. Yeah. Okay. But if you say you can't draw, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure originally. Even uh, some, even a, s- a small change to I can draw stick people mm-hmm. is better than I can't draw. Yeah, you know, uh, I I can draw badly is mm. better than I yeah. can't draw. Yeah, yeah. And language is so important, yeah. as well as attitude is so important. Self-talk, and, it's, and it, all, it plays back into if you're, it does mu- multiply, doesn't it, exponentially? That if there's Maybe one scrum master doing, but they maybe then another scrum master does it, yeah. and as a all of a sudden before you know it, you've got an organisation that where the dominant narrative is, oh, we can't we can't do this. Yeah. We we can't do scrum. We can't change. Yeah. Can't change that part of the organisation. So all of a sudden it's, it's um, it becomes quite viral. In that we spot. grow into that as well because as kids we don't think we can't do this. We just do it. No. It doesn't matter how bad we are. Fear of consequence. Yeah, and I, I, I used to tell a story about, and I used to, my kids are getting a bit older now, but I used to show a picture my son drew me. And he came running in and he said, Daddy, Daddy, look, look at this picture. And I said, that's brilliant. I had no idea what it was. Um, I said, oh, that's, that's fantastic, that's amazing. Uh, tell me about it. And he said, oh, it's, it's a rocket. And to me, I, yeah, okay, once he told me it was a rocket, I could see it was a rocket. Um, but he was so proud of it, he said, you could see it. And then once he's explained, I thought, yeah, that's fair enough. And um, he said, oh, Daddy, will you come and draw with me? And I said, my instant response, without checking myself, was, no, I'm terrible at drawing. <laughs> now, that put into his, his world the possibility of being bad at something. Yeah. And the, the idea that there was, there was a possibility of failure, a possibility of bad drawing, yeah, where yeah. before there wasn't. Yeah. And then he's, he starts judging himself. Is this good? Is this good? That yeah. was, he was asking me, is this a good drawing, Daddy? Yeah. Whereas before it was just a drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we learn that. that, that kind of, yeah. We need to get back to that, that, that safety. That, yeah. So do you remember how old Cody was when, when he did that? I think he was about four. Okay, so this is, we were probably about the similar age that um, I think it was just before just my daughter went to school. We were at Centre Parks. Yeah. Doing a den building experience. Yeah. And. Um, the uh, the kind of the the supervisor there, the teacher who was leading the activity was there's four or five families doing this den building experience, and uh, we build our den and we give it a name and all the things that we had to do. And the uh, the warden kind of comes in, and has a look around, and does a bit of an inspection. Inspection. She starts talking to Jocelyn, my daughter, and she says, "Oh, she's trying to walk." It's almost. <laughs> 
the, the, you say the language is very important, but she was trying to, I can see what she was trying to do. She was trying to get Jocelyn to highlight some of the risks. But Jocelyn, at the age of, she was probably about three or four at the time, didn't see risks. Mm. She didn't, that didn't qualify with her. Yeah. So she, she was trying, the, this, um, the supervisor was saying, well, what, what would happen, Jocelyn, if there's a fire inside your den? Mm. Like, that's a bad thing. She said, well, Jocelyn's reaction was, well, if there's a fire, we can toast marshmallows. Yeah, so, but it's kind of the, that was her reaction was, yeah. something fun could be, fire, yeah, fire's yeah. a fun thing. Yeah. Because we can do some creative, you know, we can yeah. eat. And she loved that type of thing. So it's amazing how risks and, but that, that inevit inevitably, I think it's also a symptom of the engineers that we are. We're dealing with software engineers who enjoy the problem solving element of, of their work and have always been problem solvers. Yeah and were rewarded through school and university and college for finding the right answer to a problem. Yeah. So it's right to expose, and we, we, get some, we get some enjoyment really about problem solving. It's the same reason we do puzzle rooms, isn't it? It's mm. that kind of oh, yeah. enjoyment from, from solving a problem. Yeah, but challenging yourself. Yeah, but if the problems can never be solved, then it becomes a dangerous situation. But it's, I think it's that attitude of almost accepting that the problem can't be solved before you've found that out, you know? Almost setting yourself up for failure to begin with. And I think that, that you know, risk analysis is a good thing, don't get me wrong. Thinking about where things can go wrong is a yeah. fantastic thing. Um, but I, you know, I've seen this in my kids where a lot of people around them have been very much, what could go wrong, what could go mm. wrong? And that's just caused anxiety and it's caused inhibitions and uh, it's curtailed their innovation, their creativity, right. and, they're, and they're willing to experiment. Mm. Uh, that, that saddens me, and I see that in teams as well. The, the, the default response within an organisation is often, yeah, but that could go wrong. Mm. Yeah, but that could fail. Mm. Rather than, we could toast marshmallows. Mm -hmm. you know, I think we, we need more of that kind of, oh, yeah, we could toast marshmallows. Mm. Uh, and not going into this naive, but with the default glass half full rather than glass half empty. Because even a glass half full, glass half full person still acknowledges that it's not full, mm. <clears throat> and that's ultimately what Scrum was built on—the art of the possible, wasn't yeah. it? It's not the, the art of what's not possible. Well, it used to be uh, when we, going back many years now, Jeff, when, when the great man, Mr. Schwaber himself, when I was in his class and when, when I co-taught with him, that was a major part of the first day. Was, was basically he got people out of the audience and basically got them to <laughs> kind of got them to be positive and yeah. was, was the art the art of possible trying to convince him of oh, this was a good idea and practicing that art of being positive yeah and saying well what can we do rather than analyzing the problems and everything mm. it's it's always been part of the core skill but i think maybe it's kind of been the process element of the scrum master role has been somewhat a superseded that the spirit of it maybe <clears throat> I don't know yeah. maybe I'm wrong but I well it's just kind of leading me I suppose to you know I think change agents have got to be optimists I think if you're a cynic you're gonna make a pretty bad change agent that's how I Would feel you? I feel bad saying that I don't I don't I, I find I find it hard to disagree with that sure some people will on yeah. the uh, on the world wide web but um, 
No, it seems where you're trying to affect a change, you've got to believe that that change can happen mm. in any situation. It's like a football manager who goes, who takes on. So uh, Southampton, haven't they? Just sacked their manager. Yeah. This is a bit of a time-relevant issue, I suppose. I should be careful with here, but let's say in recent times, the Southampton, Southampton football manager, you, as a as someone going into that position, you have to believe that you can get a team out of that situation, right? Mm. Else you wouldn't be hired. Yeah. So would you, I mean, you know, we've talked before on pod, podcasts about how do you recruit, how do you install the right scrum master and I'd be looking for some someone in that role to be if nothing else demonstrate an element of enthusiasm mm. it's one of my favorite scientific studies and it yeah you know, it probably get me into people won't like it it's, there's there's flaws in everything right but I, I, I resonate it resonates with me it's yeah. the Rosenthal Jakobsen study it's very old now it's in the 60s but scientists going into a school and um, basically doing an IQ test of every child they didn't tell the kids or the teachers it was an IQ test they did and they selected 10% you know, of these kids at random and uh, told the students told the students told the teachers that these students over the next 12 months yeah. Their, 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 their studies, their tests suggest that they're going to really bloom, blossom. But they were just selected at random. And over the next 12 months, they did. And they came back in 12 months' time, tested everybody, and their IQ had statistically significantly increased. And they put that down to the fact that this, this, the teachers believed the scientists. The white coat syndrome played effect. They, they believed the scientists. And they treated those students in, in a way that matched that belief which then sort of passed on to the students, where the students then had belief in themselves. Mm. And that then reinforced the teacher's belief that this was, this was happening. Mm. And I think belief is a powerful thing. Not in a religious manner, but in a... Actually, if you, if you have a positive approach, you're more likely to achieve a positive outcome. Mm. Not guaranteed, mm. but you just increase your chances. And why wouldn't you want to increase your chances? Is this some advice I give to people when they ask me, you know, where, where should you start? And this was largely where we started in VT, but we did, we, we kind of cherry-picked people that we thought, if we're going to make this a success, I know the people that would try and make this a success. From, I'm talking from a development team, from a project point of view. Want to be. Want to be, yeah. want to prove a theory in a positive way. Yeah. How about... How have I managed? Theory oh. sounds like Siri. There's a fail of AI. Thank you, uh, Siri. Siri is it's a serious thing. Yeah, it's not picked up that time. Nothing there. No, so yeah, but um, yeah, I can remember. I can probably I won't name them because we're not we're bad at doing that. But there are individuals that I and we were involved. We, we basically said I want that person on my team on this yeah. team because. I know that they'll make it. If it's going to be a success, that's a person who would try and make it a success. Yeah. I was working with a leadership team on um, the other day. And uh, they were talking about, they, they wanted to know what kind of things they could expect during the agile transition. Uh, and we were talking about the concept of you know, heroes and yeah. um, bad apples yeah. and things like that. And how as a leadership team they can 
they can recognise and reinforce desired behaviours and, yeah. and things like that. And they basically came to the conclusion. They said they, they, they played it back to me and they said, "So, what, do you think we should hire on attitude above aptitude?" Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you go to the extreme and you hire enthusiastic idiots. Yeah. But yeah, that, that attitude is an important thing. It's much easier to train and develop aptitude than it is to develop attitude. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And you know, in an agile organisation, that kind of cultural alignment is a is a positive thing. And if there's anything you can do, which you talked about bad apples, and this could be at a team level or equally at a senior level, is you really got to try and get bad apples out of the way yeah. in any way possible yeah. is to try and eliminate them with eliminate sounds a bit too brutal but keep them keep them out out of harm's way they just drag everybody down they do Phelps there was a study by Phelps and somebody else I forget what it was but downbeats jerks people like yeah. that they, they, they drag down teams by like 40% or something yeah. Yeah, just removing them gives such a boost to a team. And but it also sends yeah. the message that that's not acceptable. And you help, you've got a better memory from these things than I have, but there was another study which was about the number of, the percentage of people that were in jobs that were unhappy. Yeah. And so let's say, you're going to correct my numbers, but it was a long not time tonight. ago. Let's say it was... There thir- were a lot. 38% of people that they canvassed, 1,000 people, 38% were generally unhappy in their jobs. Yeah. Then of that 38%, 60%, something like that, were unprepared to leave or yeah. to change their position. So they're just going to stay there they're and be gonna, unhappy. And they're just going to stay there and basically rot the company from yeah. the inside out. Yeah. And those, trust me, those are the people that you don't want on a, on a scrum team or you don't want You part. don't want on any team. No. And they, it's just dead wood. But, they, but, those, they are. but those people don't necessarily need to be cut. I mean, we found a lot of those people that will probably fit into the, that Venn diagram. But actually, when, when connecting with them, when reaching out to them, when, when explaining what's going on and what's in it for them and how they can play a part and how this isn't a threat to them, this is an opportunity, some of those people made awesome advocates and... Oh, yeah, and kind of rode to the Baskets huge conversion. amounts to but the team. You got, there, is a, there is, and it is, I think it is... Let me spit my drink. It is a small percentage of people over the years that we've come across and we've worked with that where they've actually said, you know what, this whole Agile thing sounds great to you, Jeff, Paul, it's not for me. but it's not for me. And some of those people have left yeah. that company and gone to do other things, and maybe that's suited them you know, down to the ground, and that's absolutely, it's okay to do that. Yeah. But I think there's no point in, and this comes back to a full circle back to Scrum Masters, but I know some Scrum Masters who are fighting a losing battle mm. and too afraid or too too I was not going to say lazy but too unprepared mm. to, to to do something else to to be positive somewhere else and for every for every failure for every failed adopt, uh, adoption or um, implementation there's good people that could be doing some good elsewhere and that was the best thing for not so Nokia when Nokia kind of disbanded and after I left, but nothing to do with me. But um, when the team in Bristol, uh, Nokia and uh, Nokia Bristol disbanded and the, and the company was was basically um, dissolved, it was a real sad because that team was was lost 
and that good stuff that they were doing was lost. But I knew what was great was there was probably four, five, six, even more companies in Bristol alone that benefited from other mm. optimistic people yeah. who had the right instincts and right intention doing, could spread that, yeah. you know, that attitude. And even if there was a company that, you know, would, wasn't doing it yet, but I knew that they'd be in good, a good stead by having those people involved and yeah. those people um, on board. So, well, as Ron Jeffrey says, change your organisation or change your organisation. Exactly, and people, some people sometimes I think are a bit too unprepared to, to change their situation. Yeah. And I was, you know, I can talk from experience there. I was, hmm. we talked about this today that I was probably six months, maybe even twelve months, eighteen months, to left it too long to leave BT. I should have left a lot earlier, really. When I look back now and think about what I could have done and what I would do differently, mm. I, I think I stayed. Jocelyn would have left earlier. Yeah, my daughter. She'd have been making marshmallows somewhere else. Yeah, she'd have, yeah. And yeah, we do get too attached, I think, as we get older. Too risk, I'm guilty, too risk averse. Yeah. Too negative. On the note, we should uh, we should, <laughs> we should cheer up. A bit, we should really. probably leave this pub and find somewhere else. <laughs> we should cheer up. I'm not paying eighteen pound for another round. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Nice to see you. Ta-da.